Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you today. At least my audio is working now, so somewhat working. So I'm going to keep my uh, my talking to a minimum, as I'm sure Sean is always happy about. <laughs> First off, uh, none of us are doctors. So anything we do say, anything we do come up with is our own personal opinions. I'm pretty sure, John, you're not a doctor, right? Jim, you're not a doctor, so... <laughs> so thank, here we th go thanks for the intro chance uh i'm gonna take right. it over from here so you take it over yeah so we don't have to put up with that audio uh johnny and uh, jim thanks for joining us uh, today um appreciate uh, you coming in and having a, a chat about a few things with us uh chance is going to stay out of the conversation as much as possible just simply due to his audio issues uh, before we jump into anything, uh, just give uh, Johnny and Jim an opportunity to introduce themselves uh, for the audience so that uh, kind of spend 30 or 45 seconds getting everyone up to speed on who you are and, uh, and, and kind of what you've been up to in your life. Can start with Johnny first, please? Thanks. Sure. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for having me. Happy to be, happy to be on, the, on the show today. Uh, really in 45 seconds or less, my background professionally is in counseling and mental performance. Very, very fortunate to work for the University of Health and Performance in Northwest Arkansas. Our primary mission is to help uh, men and women uh, transition from active duty service uh, back into civilian lives under four main pillars, think, train, feel, and lead. Uh, think, move your mind, train, move your body, feel. Uh, get honest about your emotions daily and lead. Uh, try to live a life based on your values. Uh, my background over the last 25 years has been in counseling, uh, performance coaching. I started in a school system with adolescents and families, sort of morphed that work into doing um, much more higher end in terms of uh, populace. So corporate and professional athletes, uh, performance coaching and found the University of Health and Performance and our founder, Matt Hesse, about five years ago. And so have been all in for the last five years or so in helping our men and women transition from active duty service and time downrange um, to a civilian life that can be built around peace, joy, uh, <clears throat> and actuating the amazing skills and gifts they had while in service uh, into a career as civilian. So happy to be on the call. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, Jim, Thank you. yourself? So, hi, hi, good to meet you, Johnny. Um, my name is Jim. I'm an uh, active member of the RCMP. Uh, currently a manager there. I've lived all over Canada from the east to west coast, uh, some parts of northern Canada. Uh, my background is uh, primarily in tactical operations uh, with, with policing and uh, managing major events. Um, it's basically me. Thanks, Jim. Uh, so the today's topic chosen by maybe it was by one of you guys or maybe it was by chance but uh, the topic today is no plan survives and I suppose that is no no plan survives first contact no plan survives the big plan all of the plans go out the window because the plan sucked the plan was awesome but everyone else sucked there's lots of different ways that we can tease out the concept or the the idea of no plan survives dot 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 and so maybe a, a good starting point is um, we, we've all faced it ourselves that the, the plan that we had in our mind, uh, the good plan that we had in our mind should be the plan that uh, was executed, but it didn't get executed for whatever reason. At what point in your early career, perhaps, did you realize the uh, important binary moment where 
it was the plan is not gonna survive this first point of contact. And what did you do in that moment? Did you struggle? Did you refer back to a mentor's wise words? Did you make things up uh, on the fly, et cetera, et cetera? So can you think back to a moment, and you don't have to get into the details, where you realized that the plan was not surviving first point of contact, and what did you refer to? Johnny, maybe you could take the, uh, the first, uh, uh, position. Thanks. Sure. Uh, I, I love the, the topic of the discussion today. I think for me, uh, I view it more from the lens of a, a counselor and a coach uh, not being a veteran and not being a, a warfighter or in the tactical space. Uh, so many of so much of my early work, uh, I based around folks that I had watched do it before. Um, and Although helpful in many ways, uh, what I didn't pay as close enough attention to were my own talent, strengths and gifts. And so I really leaned in to try to doing it uh, the way that others did it, the way others did it that I viewed as being really good in their space, whether in the, the performance space, the coaching space. Um, and what it really did was it hindered my ability to become more adaptable and pliable. Uh, and so what I really started to do was was. Uh, dig into new initiatives at first without the support of early mentors and help uh, with the knowledge that the likelihood of failure for me on the first pass was probably greater than the likelihood of success. Uh, and I did that intentionally because my thought was I've been guided for so many years early in my career by mentors that were phenomenal, but they had developed their own sort of battle rhythm and tempo by which they counseled or coached. Uh, and I really wasn't doing that a lot on my own. I was deferring and defaulting to what I had been taught by others. Uh, <clears throat> and I wasn't showing up to sessions and to speaking and to work as authentically as I could. So I really had to work on creating my own blueprint and really under the guise that, you know what, I am going to fail at this, the first few passes. Uh, but the learning that came from that was invaluable. Uh, and so for me, it was really getting away from what was comfortable um, and understanding that I have to create the plan with the knowledge that at some point along the way, there are going to be obstacles. And I have to be able to rely on my talents, strengths, and gifts to navigate those obstacles uh, alone and not rely on others in all cases to be able to, to get me through those hurdles. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, maybe we'll come back to that and build off of that in, in a few sure. minutes. Uh, sure. Jim, yourself, do you have any thoughts on it? I, I do. You uh, you phrased the question very interestingly. Um, I I've always been a, uh, a team sports kind of guy. So you know the coach comes in and uh, is always talking about all right. Here's here's the game plan. And I, I was always confused by that. I like what do you mean the game plan when there's you know uh, nine other people out on the court or out on the field uh, that have a say in how this thing is going to go. So um, I guess I've always I've always loved the chaos of you know, the lack of a game plan and the, um, I'm going to call it the, the potential opportunity of a direction those things can go. I'm just I'm thinking game-wise, but, uh, you know, life-wise as well, the, that, that, that aspect of chaos is, is an opportunity. So um, I'm just thinking, we're probably thinking about this a little bit differently. I know the, you know, the military culture is, is very um, supported by high-end planning and long-term planning. And my, uh, I can't think of an example, actually, but my, my personal life and my work life has always been kind of centered around that chaos and then making sense of that chaos and and having an opportunity to, to deviate from that uh, 
uh, expected thought process sometimes in you know leading to negative aspects sometimes leading to uh, to positive aspects so, um very interesting very interesting phrasing so. well maybe like yourself i i also thrive in the chaos of the moment and i have right from an early age and so the the plans that i didn't have never survived first to contact and so I, I don't know, over time, even though I've been taught a lot of planning and I've done a lot of planning and, and all of the plans, I've had plans on top of plans, uh, I actually work best without plans. Uh, and I actually work best with maximum chaos. And so my, the plans that I might loosely form are, uh, at this point in my life, really loose plans. I don't have to have a really firm structure or really uh, well-defined trajectory. I just need a loose trajectory to get me generally in the direction I want to uh, head. And then I allow the chaos to unfold around me and I somehow shape it uh, over time. And so perhaps a little bit like yourself, Jim, uh, my plans are not uh, hardcore formed within the chaos. I allow the chaos to wrap around me and I somehow find uh, a path forward through the chaos. Uh, Johnny, have you experienced anything like that? You're comfortable in the chaos. You don't need a massive plan. You just kind of unfold it organically. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I want to I want to just go back for a minute to something that Jim shared that I think is is really powerful for for anyone that is looking to uh to really grow within their own lane and that is something that jim i think narrated beautifully is that you know when when our coaches talk to us about the game plan uh there is so much in our lives that is beyond our control and as as much as we work to execute what we are responsible for and what we can ultimately uh take responsibility for and try to actuate to the very best of our ability we have such little control of the other people, places, and things around us and how they're going to respond in real time. Uh, what I've learned through my work uh, over the last 25 years uh, is just that, just what you shared, Sean, is that we have to be, uh, to survive and grow and thrive, we have to be adaptable. And as much as we try to, to control how we show up in moments or how we show up uh, in days, so much is beyond our control. And the notion of uh, sort of that that bulletproof mindset or that rock solid mindset is understanding that nine times out of 10, things are not going to go the way that we want them to go, even with the best laid plan, whether that's in a gunfight, whether that's in a tactical situation like Jim has navigated his entire career, or whether that's in, in my work with our, our combat veterans. Uh, my idea of how a conversation could go or should go uh, is often not at all how it goes. And so uh, thriving in that discomfort and being very comfortable with what may come up emotionally uh, is something that you have to get good at if you want to keep getting better at the work that I do. Well, that's freaking awesome. Uh, so uh, I'd like to maybe switch things just a touch and build off of that and get your thoughts on it, Jim and Johnny. So what I what I'm switching from is the individual understanding of no plan survives first contact or the plans that we have as individuals 
uh, aren't shaping up the way that we want. Now let's move from that individual scale up to the higher order of scale, which is perhaps a coach like yourself, Johnny, or Jim like yourself as a leader within the RCMP, or like myself as a high performance race coach. Um, so it's we're now not talking about the individual surviving the first point of contact. We're talking about as a coach observing that individual and the different ways that we can take that. And Johnny, you uh, very carefully and very, um, you illustrated it so well that uh, we have a pile of different ways that we can shape that moment. And nine times out of ten, we 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 may or may not get it right, but uh, ten times out of ten, I'm going to try. And so it's been my experience that uh, the with enough experience, you can. You may not get it right initially, but you can get it back onto a calibrated uh, stream within a matter of minutes or a matter of maybe an hour, we'll say. But in time, and usually if you've been in the game a long time, it's a short amount of time. You can get that person calibrated, generally speaking, in the right direction. So moving from the individual level to the coaching level, uh, perhaps Jim, what, what are your thoughts on helping someone move through that moment where uh, their best laid plan didn't work out, it didn't survive first point of contact, and how do you shape that moment for them? Interesting. Uh, both of you guys used uh, a couple of different phrases. Um, John, I think you used hardcore forming, and uh, John used rock-solid mindset. Um, I, I think from a uh, coaching or leadership perspective, I, I, I don't care uh, what uh, lays ahead and how how the plan is is laid out for that individual but um, from a from a person trying to help an individual or a team get better is, is developing that that hardcore form or the you know the the defined resiliency or things the maybe a term the sops that they're operating within and help them um, be able to deal with any any situation that that does come based on a set of factors that you have helped them predefined. So I think that's, that's probably the most important is, is not necessarily developing a game plan, but de developing the individual so that no matter what that game plan is is presented before them, turns out to be um, that they have the ability to deal with it in the most appropriate manner. So I don't know if that makes, makes sense. And so if I can um, crystallize that uh, to some degree, what you're suggesting is that rather than developing out a game plan for the individual's game plan, you're um, um, suggesting that you're going to help uh, create a little bit more uh, resilience in that individual through a process, either through the conversation or through some guiding uh, mentorship, you're going to create additional resilience in that individual. Is that what you're uh, saying? Uh, resilience and decision-making ability and confidence to to do those things and, and make the right decisions so that the game plan hopefully doesn't matter in the in the grand scheme of things it's the individual and the the concepts around their mindset and how they're approaching that problem that consideration either as an individual or or as a team and how they deal with that that unpredictable thing oh that's fantastic sometimes what you just said uh which was amazing is uh all of that is replaced with a, a simple term called empower the individual and i've always found empowering the individual like it's nice it's a glib statement that everyone throws i'm gonna empower i'm gonna empower let's empower the organization let's empower the individual well i've found that it's often used so much that 
it's become almost meaningless. I mean, you're supposed to tease out the details of what empowering means. Well, nobody does. But Jim, you just did. And so uh, empowering is a fun word that means almost nothing nowadays because it's, it's used four times in a sentence. And so <laughs> I think that's amazing, uh, to be honest. Johnny, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, it, it, it would be very difficult for me to, um, uh, to capture with more uh, gravity what, uh, what Jim just shared. I uh, agree with him uh, a thousand percent. I think when you look at uh, what builds cultures and teams and adaptability, I think one of the responsibilities that we have as leaders, as coaches, uh, <clears throat> is we have to get to know our people. And what I'm always curious about, I know probably for Jim at his level, because he's overseeing probably more people that he could ever get to know individually. But what I'm always really curious about in teams is I want to know how to maximize the talent, strengths, and gifts of the people that I have on my team. What's really important for me is to tease out through observation, through discussion. Um, I want to find out how people operate most effectively. And then I want to use those strengths within the team to offset some maybe areas of struggle that other, other members of, of the team have. We all bring such unique gifts to, to our teams and to our organizations, but oftentimes we get stuck in the stuff that we're not good at, uh, and it doesn't give us a chance to sharpen the skills that we are, are very good at and bring those to the forefront of our operations. So for, for me, in working with either individuals or small groups as we're speaking about it now, I really want to get to know the individual. And the other thing that I think we don't do a good enough job of in leadership positions uh, is we make too many assumptions that could be completely eliminated or dispelled by sitting with members of our team and asking them how they thrive best, how they learn best, and how they like to be coached. It's our job as leaders to be adaptable in our approach, uh, but we also have to give our, our team members some grace and understanding that maybe they're not where we are yet, and how can we coach them to maximize their success? I think that's that's really, really important. I, I agree with Jim. I am not at all as concerned about the plan as I am about the people. Well, that's, uh, I mean, bam. Uh, we're only 18 minutes in, and uh, I, I'd like to go for a ride today. So I think we could almost end the podcast right now with just the freaking mic drops that these two guys are dropping. So... <laughs> uh, how to build off of that. And, and by build off, I mean, just uh, take the conversation a little bit deeper. So I think that it's interesting what you bring up, Johnny, that uh, you would consider a good course of action to look at the individual across the desk from you and, and ask them, uh, how, how do you prefer to be coached? Now it's an individual, now it's a boutique, now it's a connected moment which I don't know if that's so common out there anymore. Uh, you're kind of one of the first guys I've heard put it across that way, that you are that interested in the person across from you that you will interrogate them to the degree where you're trying to figure out uh, what works best for them, not what works best for the institution or what works best for Johnny. Uh, I, it's, are you finding that, uh, how is that being received by individuals? Are they... Are they excited that something good and new is happening or? Oh, I could tell you in, in, in two facets of my work, one with uh, private clients, um, it, it's been very effective 
but as it relates to the team, we you mentioned Sean, you talked before about this this blanket term that we use that has lost its teeth, and that is empowerment. Um, and and we oftentimes as leaders feel like we have to assume the role of empowering others. What I always keep at the top of my mind is that individuals are the experts on themselves. And so even though I have a background in counseling and performance and psychology, the individual is the expert on themselves. I don't know enough about that individual, even if I've spent months, in some cases, years with them, unless I get curious enough to ask the questions uh, that they are willing to step into with vulnerability. So to shortly answer your question, it has been a game changer in my work, not just with uh, private clients, but with small groups. Because when we really talk about that word empowerment, uh, it's allowing people to be the experts on their own lives uh, and to step into those things that, well, now as a leader, you've told me that you are, this is where your strength is. And we are not, according, we're not utilizing you enough. You're feeling shortchanged. You're feeling like you can't use your gifts and your strengths to the best of your ability that would maximize the output of the team. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to do that now, but I want you to tell me what those are. And I want you to tell me what that would look like day to day. Um, and I, I really believe strongly in great leaders. We have to put our egos aside enough to maximize the ability of our team. And in, in the world that you guys come from, you know, um, <clears throat> a lot of times the folks that you are training up, uh, you get who you get and you work under this guise that these guys are going to be really good at what they do. Otherwise they would have never gotten here. Right. And there's a benefit in that uh, to understand that they all have a certain level of training. Otherwise they wouldn't have gotten to where you guys are at in the tactical operation space or in the war fighting space. But in my space, they come from, which represents the largest demographic of, of people in the world is, is not that 1% that has been downrange or been behind the trigger, but it's everybody else that I need to know <clears throat> what makes them thrive. And just because I'm a leader and I have an understanding of human performance and human behavior, I need them to tell me what, what allows them to thrive. And then I, as a leader, need to hold them accountable for what they said they were really good at. <clears throat> yeah, that's, uh, that, that last sentence is the secret sauce, I feel, uh, for sure. I mean, all of it was uh, super legit, but that last sentence is the, uh, is the exclamation mark, no doubt about it. Jim, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I was thinking of an example uh, some of you guys are talking. Um, I, I took a biking lesson there a little while ago because there's, there's some things I, I needed to work on. I was, I just, I couldn't cross a threshold and uh, the, the coach was really good. It was like really identifying what do I need? What, what is my style? Uh, how do I want to be, how do I want to be coached? Do I want to be jumped down the hill or do I want to be you know, guided and shown gently, that kind of thing. So um, there's, there's a real power in, in making sure that the coach is, is understanding that individual. Um, but there's, I'm just going to throw a completely opposite direction here. Um, there's also the, the aspect of um, finding out what that person wants to do or how they want to be coached versus uh, that coach finding out what they actually need. And uh, the, the reason I was thinking about that is I, I then, a couple of days later, uh, followed a guy down the hill who was slightly better than me. And we were just basically pushing each other. And I did more in that day than I did with the coach. So... Um, I, there's, there's probably a fine balance of that coach finding out what what does that person need versus uh, sorry what do they want versus what they need 
in that particular moment, in that particular circumstances, um, I needed to to be pushed beyond uh, what I wanted. I, did, I, I didn't need to learn. I just needed some some confidence or peer pressure, even or some some pressure from the back. So I, um, that's that's an interesting aspect that I just thought of that you know maybe maybe that coach should should do the exact opposite of what that person wants sometimes to to get yeah. the most out of that person. So, yeah. Such a yeah. such a great point. And I think wherein lies the power of the collective and the community is that as as a single entity, Jim, as a as a leader in the tactical space or myself in the mental performance space, uh, we do our very best based on the information that we're given in real time. Uh, but in the in the second example that you cited, uh, outside of what the coach gave you, uh, what you knew you needed intrinsically. You know, if you put two people on that track at the same time, you and somebody else, you are the type of person that thrived because that that cyclist was just a hair better and you guys were pushing each other and you needed that. If you take another person in the same situation, they may hit the brakes, wait for that person that's a better cycler to get down to the bottom of the mountain or the track, and then they'll navigate it on their own. And so that really, to me, is a great illustration of really the power of the community. And when we can surround ourselves with people that are striving for great things, whether in cycling, in mental performance, in training, in the tactical space, uh, then we stand a chance to, you know, a couple things happen in, in that level of uh, the level of the world that you all work in. And you know this, people either rise to the occasion or they end up out of the unit <laughs> altogether. Um, what I think we can do a better job of early on and it's happening stateside with ranger regiment and and some other special operations forces where I, they're doing a better job of identifying the individual uh and not just saying hey you're you're in this pipeline and you're either going to make it or you're going to wash out but you've gotten what it takes to make it here and now we're really going to do a deep dive into who you are as an individual so we can maximize the opportunities not just for you to succeed but for us to be really really lethal as a unit when we go down range and that's the stuff that I'm really intrigued by. Uh, I work under the guys that physically, the men and women that make it to these units, uh, they have a certain level of grit and physical prowess in things that get them there. Uh, why aren't they staying and why aren't they thriving, I think can be attributed far more to cultural and leadership examples and, and also individual strengths uh, that we just don't pay enough attention to. Yeah, I'm curious uh, on your thoughts, Johnny, in respect to something that just popped into my head, and that is um, at, at one point in history, we'll call it 20, 30 years ago, there was less um, individual or boutique shaping of the individual or taking into consideration their skills or their pros and cons, we'll call it for lack of a better term. That stuff just wasn't discussed or wasn't considered. And Nowadays, it is, of course, as it should be in order to become a more effective and efficient team. Why do you think that started happening? Why do you think this not new phenomenon, but this phenomenon of taking into account the individual's uh, skill stack and optimizing it within the team boutiquely through good leadership? Why do you think it has started to happen? Is it because a the requirement of manpower in the sense of there is recruiting is down and so we have to make the most of our resources or b the traction or the new new style of 
leadership where it is a more personal leadership. It is a more, um, more taking into account the individual's skills, leadership as in other words, is it because of we have to change or because we want to change our style of leadership? What do you think? I think it's a great question. I can only answer from, from my perspective. I think it's a little bit of both, but I think even more globally, all of, uh, depending on our age on this call, I'm 46 years old. I, I went to school when I, here's, here's an example we all can probably relate to at least, you know, uh, to some degree. When, when I went to school, traditional education, uh, we worked under very much a fixed mindset model, right? And I was told from the time I was a very, very young kid, you know, Johnny, you're a great kid. Uh, you're just not a math guy. You just, you're just not a math guy. You just, it's never going to work for you. You're going to have to work twice as hard as everybody else just to get by in math. And so that story became my truth, right? And then all the work that Dr. Carol Dweck has done over the last 20 plus years around growth mindset, this idea that we can learn the same thing in a variety of ways, I think in many ways has been adopted to leadership. Whereas if you look at uh, military leadership of old or the old sports coaches we had, uh, the very salty, you're only going to make it if we break you off. And if you're tough enough to make it through after the concussions and the injuries and all that stuff, you've earned a place on the team. And I think we've shifted from that while still honoring the importance of grit and toughness and showing up and working hard and pushing through pain. All of the things that I believe are still critically important. What we now know is that there's not just one way to learn one concept. There is a myriad of ways to learn a concept and how can we take that ideology and incorporate it into our leadership styles? To me, it's by looking at the individual or empowering the leaders below us to look at the individuals in their unit and saying, don't write this guy off. He, is, he has shown you that he is capable of making it this far. What are we missing? He is showing up on time. He's working his rear end off. He's a team guy. He loves this more than anything else. What are we missing about his ability to connect A to B that could make him maybe one of the best in our unit. So I really think it's a shift around. You can only learn one way. Now we know through that growth mindset framework, there are a myriad of different ways to learn the same thing. It may take me a little bit longer to learn math, uh, but because I was only shown one way my entire life, the story that I told myself that I was convinced of was that I can't do math. Yeah, that's a, that's a really important and fascinating point that you put across. I'm just going to add a little bit more to that so that the, the audience who's listening, it'll sink in maybe a little bit deeper. I'm 60 this year, and uh, my generation, when I was in high school, I was told that I kind of sucked, that I was a dumb kid, that I was failing in math because blah, 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 whatever. I was told that I was dumb by teachers, and I believed it. And when I joined the military, uh, I thought, wow, I'm just a dumb kid, skinny, underperforming kid, but I'm going to give it my best. And I did give it my best. But along the way, I started to realize that actually I'm not that dumb. And so um, throughout the rest of my life, I just kicked as much ass as I could, did as well as I could. And as it turns out, I, I've achieved some things, some small things, but things nonetheless. And it was Less than a year ago, I listened to a podcast, and I, I'm going to probably mispronounce it, but I believe it was 
The Psychological Profile of an Operator by Dr. Art Finch. I believe that was it. And so if you get a chance to listen to The Psychological Profile of an Operator by Dr. Art Finch, what you will hear is a version of my life story. And it kind of goes like this. Dr. Art Finch um, interviewed uh, thousands of special operators in order to get onto special operations teams and had to create psychological profiles of them. And what he did was, as each operator, as he was uh, interviewing them, he'd, he'd say, hey, you know, like we've tested your IQ and your IQ is genius level. Uh, what is going on here? Why, why do you want to be part of this team when you could be a pilot or you could be a doctor or a lawyer, or et cetera, all of the usual stereotypes? And the individual responds with, what? I'm dumb. What are you talking about? I've got a high IQ. I've got a low IQ. And uh, a lot of these operators believed that they were dumb, like I used to believe I was dumb. But then Dr. Art Finch goes on in the uh, podcast to discuss that it's really discouraging that a lot of uh, individuals out there feel that they're dumb because of high school at a certain generation, whereas they're really not dumb. So he's encouraging other special operators, or we'll call it for lack of a better term, high performers, to publicly state that I used to think I was dumb because that's what the system told me. But I've been subsequently independently tested three times and my IQ is 147, which is really embarrassing to say out loud. But I'm doing it because Dr. Art Finch is requesting that we do that. And I didn't know what 147 meant. I had to look it up after the uh, interview or the podcast <laughs> and realize that apparently I'm quote unquote genius, which is dumb because I'm dumb. You know what I'm saying? So the, the lie that we're told through a system that doesn't understand how to work with individuals who are are the neurodivergent or or look at life in a through a different lens we're it's not that we're being held back by the system though there is some truth to that we hold ourselves back because the system told us a lie and we don't actualize ourselves because we believe the lie and so i'm really really putting an exclamation mark on this point for anyone who's listening like just don't believe what you're told sometimes. Like engage in life, do your best, kick that ass, and over a period of time, you'll get to see what you're made of to some degree. Yeah, it's so beautifully said. And I think I think just getting curious. So for anybody listening that has been told that narrative that has become our truth, there's so much power in curiosity and asking questions that are as simple as, well, I understand that I, I can't get it this way. There's a block here somewhere help me understand how I can get, get to the end result a different way. Um, and, and man, I, I think what you shared, Sean, can never, ever, ever be overstated because it has been, uh, there's a generation of, of adults and now even more, we, we, <clears throat> you know, every, we, we, you can't fit square peg in a round hole, but that's what we do in so many of our systems. And we say, this dude's either going to get it or he isn't. And there's so much more than that. And there's so much more to the individual than that. Yeah, I agree. Any thoughts on that, Jim? Uh, yeah, those those stereotypes are uh, incredibly dangerous. Um, I, I mean, we've all known people with, with PhDs who are not that smart. Really. You know, they, they, they don't figure out life. They don't figure out those simple problems, but they got, the, they got their credentials, right? Um, uh, just thinking back, the... Um, the, the, the way in which we, we test people or we look for people now has, has changed dramatically. 
um, you know, we used to want you to fit in that, that mold here, but um, the the new way is like we, we need you to to accomplish you know, just just random number ten percent of these things. Like you you just have to be able to do that. But after that, um, let's see what you bring to the table because um, there's there's so much diversity or, or you know problem solving abilities or, or whatever that we can't even comprehend or, or consider or or put in a box that that may add value there. So um, there's a huge value in ignoring those stereotypes and, and seeing what people bring to the table with respect to problem solving or technical skill or um, or any of that. I've been I've been listening to uh, some podcasts on uh, school models and uh, there's there's a seems to be a wave or a thought process that they're about changing that that standardized factory mentality and then giving kids the uh, the opportunity to design their own curriculum or you know, giving them the opportunity to succeed and you know expecting that you know these kids are going to go off and uh, do crazy things they, they do the exact opposite they come in they define systems they uh, as long as you help them along and, and kind of help them define where the parameters are but they will define people will surprise you i guess they will define their education for you and, and take them in directions that, that no one ever expected so so yeah forget about those stereotypes and ignore the ignore the messaging and find your find your niche yeah, and and I'll I'll add that uh, I'm probably, you know, I've caused myself some troubles. I have been a victim to falling into that uh, stereotyping trap uh, when I'm looking at a person across from me, and so in my world, I tend to some degree uh, red flag anyone who's got a PhD. I know that sounds dumb, but um, uh, and and that's based on a incident when I was. Uh, I was a head, a head instructor at a computer system engineering school and after I left the tier one. And so one of my instructors was standing in an elevator. I've told this story before, so I'll make it really quick. The elevator door opened and there was this guy called Max standing there just stock still staring at the doors. And I stepped in and I looked at him and said, you all right, Max? And he said, yeah, Sean, I just got a question for you as the doors closed and the button was pushed. He said, if I don't push a button, in the elevator, do I go anywhere? And I just looked at him and said, all right, Max. And I pressed the button up to our floor, the doors open and I stepped out and I just kind of shook my head like, his brain works differently than my brain. And I'm okay with that. But he stood in that elevator for an amount of time, I don't know how long, waiting for the elevator to go somewhere, though it was going nowhere. And in his mind, in his, in his version of the world, he was academically considering if he was going anywhere or not as he was going nowhere. And so uh, PhDs, that was the first time I'd ever bumped into a PhD uh, after my military career. And I thought, wow, uh, so that this is what is created, this kind of a <laughs> thought process. Now, he was a PhD in, um, in math. And uh, it was, it was, I would, I'd say experimental math, but it was in a version of math that, you know, may create a brain like that. I'm not sure, but it was a brand spanking new brain that I'd never faced before. And it didn't work like my brain. So on that day, I red flagged PhDs as mm, there's a cautionary note. I have to keep an eye on any PhD from this point forward if it creates PhDs like this. And so I've got a habit of red flagging PhDs, but it's not that I dismiss them. Uh, immediately. What I do do is I kind of red flag them and then I get to talk to them 
in either person or look them in the eye and, and, and get a sense of the individual behind the PhD. So I'll use another example to uh, the other side of the coin, and that is like awesome PhDs. So just a couple of days ago, I was on a podcast with uh, Dr. Carlos, who is a psychology professor, teaches at three schools down in California. And I was there as a co-host with him to uh, not interview, but to participate in a conversation with a fella by the name of uh, Dr. Dick Thompson, who is a veteran of the MACV SOG era and uh, is an, a multiple time author and is also a PhD in psychology and teaches uh, coaching and all kinds of things. And so I spent two hours in that conversation with uh, Dr. Dick Thompson. And that dude is a legit awesome PhD. And so uh, he comes with a wide ranging experience or background where he has some sort, he can insert reality into his red flag PhD uh, plaque on the back of his wall. And so it's the complexity of the individual is the thing that isn't often considered. It can only be con kind of considered in the real time as you're interacting with the individual. Otherwise, the plaque on the wall, the PhD uh, shingle that's hanging there, I red flag it. So uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, uh, Johnny, perhaps uh, to start off in respect to do you kind of red flag any titles to not be cautious of, but right away you're thinking, oh, I got to keep an eye on this. Does that make sense? Uh, makes makes perfect sense. I, I don't know that I ever have uh, to the degree that you just explained it. Uh, I, I will say that the more I've become educated, uh, this is this may not sit well with our academic audience, but I'm going to share it nonetheless because it's my truth. Uh, the more education that I've received, so a couple master's degrees, uh, a CAGS, uh, the less I believe it is critically important in the work that I do every day. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And nobody is even going to be able to access uh, your desire to help them and coach them unless they trust you and feel like you can make connections with them beyond content. And so my education has provided a great foundation, which I can go back to and continue to expand upon. But the way that I learn now in, in terms of continuing education uh, is non-traditional. And it comes from men like you guys, uh, where I can share space and time uh, and view uh, my perspectives in a different way or having conversations on the ground in Arkansas with some of our, our men and women that have a completely different experience than I do or may even look at mental health or mental performance in a different way without degrees in education. So um, I respect anybody that is passionate enough to continue to learn uh, to the level of a PhD because I really think it speaks to the individuality of human beings. And if somebody's gonna commit the time, attention and energy required to earn a PhD, then I respect that journey. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna connect with me or that I'm gonna connect with them. And so I really wanna meet individuals where they're at, regardless of their degrees or lack thereof, or their experience or lack thereof. Um, and I, I really believe strongly in meeting people where they're at. Um, but I, I don't know that I've ever red flagged it to the degree that you explained to us. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't like I don't like being ambushed by a, a big brain, so. <laughs> 
it's probably my own bias. So, uh, <coughs> but as you stated, uh, Johnny, and it was a beautiful point that you're there to meet the person where they're at right now. And uh, I love that. Uh, Jim, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I feel like I set up a target there on PhDs. That was not my intention. No, that no, no. I've always been that way. That wasn't you. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, the, um, I'm, I'm working on a second master's too, and it's it's not necessarily about what you're learning, but the uh, what you're learning from everyone else and, and how you're thinking about problems and, and diversifying your own your own mind. So as long as you you have that mindset of you're you're not you're not putting yourself in a box. You're 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 learning to learn, I guess, or continue learning. Um, I, I definitely don't discount anyone anymore because, you know, I've, I've met some people who dropped out in grade three who have no formal education whatsoever and they are some of the greatest problem solvers I've ever met. And you look at a, you know, a, a, some, some little thing that they've made for their cabin and it solves some complex engineering issue that you couldn't even possibly wrap your mind around. So how did that person do that without that education? So I, I totally do not discount anyone anymore because... Uh, there's some, some smart people out there who don't have any credentials. I, I agree with that, uh, Jim, and uh, that's an important point. But the reason that it's uh, you're able to form that realization or create that pattern within your life, uh, that, that understood pattern, is because you are uh, broad-based. You are widely uh, expanding your understanding of the world you're meeting a lot of different people you're in a lot of different situations you're exposed to a wide ranging life and so uh, you've you've come to that realization through all of those experiences that are uncommon experiences i would say to some degree in reference to contextualizing it against a standard issue um, uh, career we'll call it or a lifestyle and so you do have that clarity of of or that realization clarity now. Uh, but I don't think that's the case for everyone. And so that's probably the case for Johnny and that's probably the case for myself. And I'm not suggesting that we're unique in, in this uh, um, discussion or in this topic, but it's not as common, I feel, as, uh, as it could be or should be uh, in order to give this kind of clarity. So. Um, back to the topic at hand, which was no plan survives, dot, dot, dot. I'm now looking at you guys as having enough experience, broad-based experience, that you're comfortable in the chaos. You can make the generally the right decisions based on those experiences. And so the world isn't as chaotic for you guys as it would be for perhaps others. And so what kind of lessons could you impart to anyone who's listening right now in respect to when that individual out there who's listening to this faces that no plan survives dot 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 what are your thoughts on maybe first steps or or a sequence of events that you would suggest to someone who is maybe early in the game of no plan survives dot 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 and uh, jim i think uh I'll put you on the spot on this one, if you don't mind. Uh, good question. I uh, I keep coming back to that parable. I think you told it on, on this show once. Um, you know, somebody somebody wins a million dollars and they say, "Oh, that's that's great. Is it is it really great?" And then all of a sudden they get done with uh, tax fraud and they go to jail. And that's you know, jail's bad, but is it really bad? And then that leads to something else and something else. So, um, I guess I would say uh, take take that extra second and uh, and, and evaluate the potential sequence of events that you are 
presented with and um, scope scope that problem, I guess, um, appropriately and, and realize what you're looking at, what your options are, and uh, not necessarily define your plan, but define your problem and, and make sure you truly understand the problem, which which direction you have the potential to go and not not define your plan without without understanding your your situation or your or your issue that you're looking at. Thanks for that, Jim. And I, I want to ask you another follow-on to that. Let's pretend for a moment that there's an individual who's doing all of that. That individual works for you as the example or works under your leadership. And so uh, as that individual is playing all of those sequences of events out in a logical manner, your job now as the observer or your job now as the coach or the leader, what is your... Um, what is your overarching position on that? Are you going to passively observe and let them make mistakes? Are you going to actively observe and try to course correct? What do you, what have you found in the past has been best for everyone or is it just too boutique to answer? There's, there's definitely some parameters that you should apply to everyone. I mean, I don't want to see anyone go too far off the rails so that start over. Um, but that is going to be extremely individualized. Like some people need to kind of think of an analogy here. You know, when they're playing, uh, doing uh, bowling, um, some people need those bumpers so they can properly follow that path and hit the pins. Um, some people will just naturally find the pins. So I think, uh, as a leader, as a coach, um, it is imperative to to know those individuals and, and, and what they need and and where their parameters are, uh, so that they don't fail and or they they hit the edges of learning or hit the edges of, of identifying what the concept is so that they can and bring that experience back to that problem and apply it to other problems. So uh, I guess I can't give you an answer on you know, everyone. Um, there's some definitely some lanes that you need to paint, but uh, I think it's extremely individualized on, on how you deal with those people and how far you let them get outside whatever it is those lines they're capable of, of operating within. I appreciate that. Thank you. And Johnny, what are your thoughts on that? With me, I, I think um, for me, I think it, it, it's different depending on um, as leaders and coaches, have, have we been the authors of that plan? And now are we asking our people to execute? And so the first place I'd, I'd go is I would look inward and wanted to make sure that we presented uh, our people with all of the information possible to uh, actuate the plan as best as they could. That, that would be the first place I would go if we were the authors of the plan. Uh, when clients come to me and say, you know, this is my plan uh, and this is where I've, I've hit the wall, um, <clears throat> one of the things that I want to look at first is how much did that plan it let's say this is outside of work and we're talking about personal growth or mindset development um, we fall short because we don't uh, oftentimes we fall short because uh, we are not as invested and committed as we think we are and telling ourselves that we're really excited about doing something and then actually putting the time, attention, and energy into doing it effectively are two completely different things. And so when I, when I work with clients, I really try to get them to look inward and ask curious questions. Uh, what about this journey so far uh, <clears throat> has gotten to the place where you've hit this wall or hit this obstacle? 
if people are being honest with themselves, uh, I, I know for me, there are plenty of places that I fall short. And when I get really emotionally honest, uh, it's because I haven't invested the time, attention and energy required to get to where I know I'll get if I do the things that I'm supposed to do. And so then the question becomes, man, is this really tied into your values? Is this really tied into what matters most to you? And then we, and then, you know, you can very easily get down that rabbit hole around, well, why are you doing this to begin with? What, why are you really doing this? Uh, if your intent and your effort do not at all match what is required to get this done, then what was the precipice for you starting this journey to begin with? So I look at it from a couple different lenses. One, as a coach and a leader, if, if I am the person who ultimately is entrusting my people to get this done, uh, have I given them all of the tools, the training, the resources, uh, <clears throat> and the supervision necessary for them to execute? Um, if not, that's on me. I need to do a better job. But with individuals that I coach, uh, how much does it really matter to you? Because any change or any course correction that we embed relative to the plan will fall short every time if their intent and effort is not aligned with what it takes to get the job done. They will, they will run into one roadblock after another after another, uh, and it won't have anything to do with the plan nine times out of ten. It'll have everything to do with them and their intent or lack thereof. Mm, I 100% agree, and I think you hit the nail on the head in respect to um, either as the coach or as the individual. There's a point in time in that relationship where you do have to scramble down that rabbit hole, where you have to ensure that not only they understand why they're in the game, but you understand that you're in the game with them for the right reason because they're in the game. That's and right. uh, as a coach, as, as a guide, as a leader, as a mentor, or whatever role you're involved in when you're helping someone else, when you're caring for someone else, what I don't work well with is if that person doesn't care enough for themselves to care about the process that they're in. And, and it's, it almost devalues my time. It, um, it's, I'm not going to say it's disrespectful because that's too hard of a term, but loosely, it's a bit disrespectful. If someone is asking for my time freely and I'm giving my time freely and they are not respecting their time enough, their why enough, their rabbit hole enough that they uh, just casually uh, involve uh, themselves with the rest of life in a, in a wobbly journey that is not truly thought out well with intention. Um, so maybe in the we've got about six minutes left before we go to closing statements uh the last thing i'd like to touch on uh is aars or after action reports and because it has a bit of a common theme uh, in this tail end here in respect to if someone is doing it right or someone's doing it wrong or someone's in the middle ground of maybe it's mediocrity whatever the case is um at some point i feel uh we all have a responsibility to, to do a direct concise and perhaps even blunt after action report with someone in order to properly recalibrate them on the trajectory that they want to be on and so that after action report i'm curious so i'll start with you first johnny what your thoughts are on perhaps the most successful and i know this is a very general uh, question the most successful after action report sequence of events that you use in respect to a general uh, situation? 
Uh, yeah, I, uh, thank you for the question. I think one of the things that I love about the team that we work on is uh, when we have our students down on the ground in Northwest Arkansas, one of the things we do as a staff every day uh, is we do uh, what's called daily pulse checks with our students so that we can actuate change in real time as much as possible. Not always the case when it comes to things like uh, construction items in the facility that students would like more of that would enhance their experience. But but things around staff, attitude, how we show up, things like that. And one of the, the, the biggest piece that I think is very difficult with AARs, and it really has to be built into the culture, because you, you said it beautifully, Sean. I think we have a tough time as human beings with teams that we work very closely with because we love each other as people, right? I love the people that I work with. I love the team. I don't always love what the team does and the team does not always love what I do. I am as flawed as the next man. I make mistakes all day long. Um, but what, what we dance around too much in AARs is we say outwardly that we're creating a culture where we're going to have difficult conversations and we have to be able to separate the emotion from the truth, right? Uh, the biggest challenge in AARs in small teams, but in teams in general is if I'm sitting in a room with six other people, it doesn't feel good to get called out uh, about something that I missed throughout the camp experience or throughout my leadership experience. It doesn't feel good, but it is absolutely necessary. And so <clears throat> I think the most effective AARs are when we build a culture where everybody in the room understands that A, we love, each love and respect each other, B, we're all here for the same mission, and C, we have to be able to separate personal emotions from factual information. And then we have a responsibility as leaders to deliver that information in a way that is blunt, but is also valuing the human being. Bam. Awesome. Jim, good luck. You're following that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a little worried now. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm fortunate enough where I do AARs with uh, several different groups of people. So there, there is that. Um, but I also get the exact opposite um, where uh, we, in, in some of our groups here, we do have a culture of having that honest conversation as a matter of course. And everybody has bought into that. And it's, it's extremely, it, it's, it's amazing, really. Like everyone will own their their own issues. They will bring up the points that they, they personally did better, whether nobody noticed them or not. Um, but the, the downside to that is that it gets almost um, caustic or self-deprecating to the point where it's it's uh, it's damaging, and uh, I'm I'm you kind of have to be that sober second thought uh, at some point and go like, listen everybody, that actually went really well. Uh, I know you want to be perfect, and I know you have identified all of these little things that you can do better, and like just please stop talking because that was actually the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So there is a there is an opposite side to that, and. Uh, yeah, depending on which group of people you're, you're talking about, uh, you may have to drag the bad things out to identify them or address them. Um, but there's also the opposite where you, you might have to draw the good things out because some people may, may be super high functioning and, and just progressing naturally. So. Uh, bam, you uh, did follow that one. And now that doesn't give me an opportunity to really follow either of you to jerks because you've just both said it so well. <laughs> so I'm just going to move on from that one. Uh, I think what we'll do is move uh, into closing uh, statements. Uh, but before we go into closing statements, 
Uh, I just wanted to hit you up, Johnny, because it just popped into my head right now. Uh, before we hit uh, the live chat on this, you and I were talking about uh, Northwest Arkansas and that I'd done some racing in Arkansas. The name of the race where I got those seven flats is called the Wachita Challenge. Wachita, oh. it's a tiny little uh, town in the middle of uh, Nowheresville, and uh, it's a fun race, a hard race, the Wachita Challenge. So that's an Thank aside. you for that. Thank you. Uh, so uh, maybe I'll start with uh, yourself, Johnny, on uh, your closing thoughts on the subject, uh, No Plan Survives, or, or some of the things that we've talked about today. Thanks. Yeah, uh, well, I, I guess first and foremost, and quickly, thank you all for having me on. It's, it's amazing when you can share time and space with individuals that uh, challenge you to dig in and, and really think about our path, uh, not just as individuals, but our path as leaders. Uh, and so I'm grateful for the for the opportunity to have met Jim and, and both of you guys uh, to be able to dig into a topic that I think um, all of us, uh, regardless of our field of occupation within our families, uh, as we navigate this this beautiful journey that is life, we we all have to confront uh, day to day. I think the biggest things for me uh, that I took from today that I hope our listeners did as well was um, uh, the ability to be adaptable. Uh, the ability to be coachable uh, and the understanding that the more we can put ourselves in positions, as you put it, Sean, earlier, where we can get wrapped in that chaos and that discomfort, uh, I think is a great place for us to grow and learn a lot about ourselves. Uh, even though it's it doesn't feel great at first, uh, I think there's a big, uh, we have to dispel the notion that chaos is bad, that volatility is bad. Uh, these things are, are not bad. Uh, these things are the some of the greatest catalysts for growth. Uh, if we understand that the waters don't stay rough the whole time, but we can damn sure swim well when they are rough. So great, great call. Uh, it's been an honor to share space with all of you. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. That's amazing. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, Thank Jim, you. yourself. Uh, tough to follow that one as well. Um, it has been a uh, pleasure as always with you guys. Good to meet you. Likewise, Johnny. thank um, you, sir. I guess I would. Uh, I guess I would just say uh, no plans are vice first contact. Um, correct. Um, we're going to have to deal with that. Uh, prepare your personal flexibility, your adaptability. Um, expand your mind. Prepare your mind for problem solving and, and pulling on the, the thread that you need to to get through that problem. So, uh, pleasure as always, and great chat. Thank you, Jim. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, so my final uh, closing comments are, uh, gentlemen, uh, I have nothing more to add because you both cracked it out of the park. I really uh, respect and uh, appreciate your time. Uh, but more correctly, it's not just your time. It's the time of your experience, what you bring to the table in your clear thoughts and your uh, wise um, lives that you brought to this conversation. It's made me think about things a couple of different ways. It's made me learn a few more things about how to do life better. So uh, I know if I'm learning, the audience is learning. Uh, and that is uh, the beauty of a growth mindset with the uh, people who are in the game of growth mindset. So gents, thanks for your time. And uh, uh, appreciate anyone who's listening to this right now or listens to this later on. Uh, I'll close off with uh, thanks for joining us over here on The Collective. We're here every day uh, where we learn, build, and grow together as a team of ass kickers. Chimo. Love it. <laughs>